Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, if you would, please grab your Bibles. We're going to continue in our gospel study here of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 12 today. If you don't have a, a Bible, we got Bibles in the back there for you. Feel free to grab one of those. That's our gift to you. As you turn there, let me review from last week. We, we studied this passage uh, last week, but we only got through one verse. And so... Um, it was a big verse, though. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Let's review this here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, they arrived in Jerusalem. So we learned a little history about the village of Bethlehem. We met King Herod the Great, a man that overflows with humility. We, uh, we also met the Magi. Uh, these wise men from the east. And then we took a really long detour in the book of Daniel. And we learned why these men were so vital to Jesus' birth. And then we asked this question. Is God big enough to ordain a Hebrew slave to rise up through the Babylonian ranks and then lead a pagan group of priestly elites called the Magi for the sole purpose of sending them as Gentile kingmakers 600 years later for the sole purpose of, of worshiping a baby named Jesus. Is our God that big? It's been said that history is his story. How true that statement is. Because the kingdom of God, it doesn't have any coincidences in it. And dear friend, if you're a child of God this morning, your life has meaning uh, similar to that of the Magi. Your, your life has purpose like theirs. God has created you for such a time as this. He's taken your shame and your guilt and your worst decision and your darkest day, and he paid for all of it on that blood-stained Roman wooden cross. And because of that sacrifice, his sacrifice, he has gifted you to, to minister to those who don't know him. If you're a child of God, God is preparing you, he's shaping you, he's molding you for your next assignment. And we found that out last week, that sometimes preparation takes 600 years through many generations of the Magi. The longer the preparation the harder the season that you're in, the bigger the assignment. And we saw that with the Magi. But can you see it in your own life? The Magi walked 900 miles to complete their mission. Are you at this moment, are, are you on mission with God like those guys? Are you willing to trust Jesus even though you don't understand Him at times? 
I hope so, because you know, having the illusion over, of control over your life, that's just so dull, isn't it? Thinking that you have control over every aspect of your life. Well, today we're going to see how the people of Jerusalem respond to these Babylonian kingmakers that we learned about last week. We're going to see how their response is also our response. Now, it may be 2,000 years later, but the heart of humanity, it hasn't changed any. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, He's been born. How does the world respond? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we've come to worship him. Now when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Yeah, you guys go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me, so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, And there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened up their treasures, presented him with the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, I have sought your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Amen and amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, they arrived in Jerusalem. So we have these wise men, these magi, they arrive in Jerusalem. Obviously, there's a a time lapse here in verse 1. Many theologians believe that Herod died around the the end of March or maybe the beginning of April in, in 4 B.C., So it is possible that these magi show up anywhere from four to six months after Jesus' birth. Now, some people think that the magi arrived a year or even two years after Jesus' birth. And uh, we see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Um, Herod killed all the male children 
under the age of two. So Herod believed that Jesus may have been around that age as well. And we'll get to that story in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I'm not really so sure about that. Now, because remember this, Herod is a lunatic, right? He killed his favorite wife. He killed his three brothers. He killed his high priest. He's insane. And, you know, he kills people for no reason at all. So I'm not sure that's a a trustworthy proof text for when these magi arrive, but scripture doesn't say for sure. Verse 2, so they arrive in Jerusalem. They're asking this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Notice here that the Magi did not go directly to Bethlehem. Secondly, take note here that Matthew doesn't say that the star led them anywhere at this point. Scripture simply says that they saw the star at its rising. They they saw it in the sky. Um, So I I think that the Magi would assume the same thing that we would. That the king of the Jews, well, obviously he's going to be born and he's going to be living in Jerusalem. I mean, that's a no-brainer. So they head to Jerusalem. But when they arrive, they start asking questions that nobody else was asking. So in verse 2, they they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So the context here is that they were going around the city asking anyone and everyone the same question. They, They were continuously asking these questions. Now the Magi must have been a little bit surprised to find out that no one seemed to know or even care about what they were talking about. Secondly, the city must have been a a little shocked to find these foreigners asking these kind of questions. Remember now, the Magi, they are king makers. There's no way in the world these guys are traveling by themselves. These men are rich, powerful politicians. Most likely they have dozens or even hundreds of people in their entourage. They probably have soldiers. They most likely have servants. And these magi most certainly look like kings by the way that they dressed. So this is probably why people have assumed that they themselves were kings from the Orient. Now, as we're going to find out here, news travels pretty fast, especially when you're talking about a new king within the city walls of Jerusalem. Notice how they they ask the question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Last Sunday, we learned that King Herod bought that title. The Magi, they're not looking for a self-proclaimed king, though. They're looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. Verse 2, they say, we saw his star at its rising, and we've come to worship him. People have speculated about this star as much as the wise men themselves. And some people say that this is a real, uh, a real star. Some say it was Jupiter. Jupiter is the king of the planets. Others believe that this star was the simultaneous overlapping of Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, some people think it was an unpredictable, inconsistent, and erratic comet. And others believe that it was just a, a low-hanging meteor. My favorite is this. Some people believe that it was the star of destiny, which lives in the heart of mankind. (laughs) So poetic. 
You know what that's called in the Greek? Bologna, I-E. <laughs> baloney. That's all baloney. Please note here that the scripture doesn't identify or explain the star. Planets, comets, meteorites, they, they don't usually behave as this star behaves. So what's going on here? Could God have used any of those methods? Absolutely. Question is, did he? One of the best ways to find out uh, things like this is to use Scripture to interpret more Scripture. Because the Bible has a lot to say about itself. So the first thing that, that we want to ask ourselves is, do stars and do planets behave like this anywhere else in Scripture? And when you do this, start in the New Testament. Um, so if you do a simple word search or word study in the New Testament, you're going to find 31 verses that talk about stars. But we're looking for a specific action from this star. And there are three verses that grab our attention here. Let me show you these. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Revelation 6, 13. The stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. And Revelation 8.10, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven. So we have stars falling, but we don't have any stars behaving like this one in Matthew. So we don't have anything in, in the New Testament. Let's move to the Old Testament. If we do the same kind of word study there, 59 verses will come up. Three will grab our attention. Let me show you these. Isaiah 34, 4. All the stars in the sky will dissolve. The sky will roll up like a scroll, and its stars will all wither, as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig tree. Joel uh, two ten. The earth quakes before them. The sky shakes. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars cease their shining. Joshua 10.13, the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. So we have stars withering, ceasing to shine, and stopping for a short time. That's not exactly the same context that we're looking for here. So, you know, with that simple word study, we can conclude that this star is not a real star. It's not a planetary star. So we have to ask next, okay, then what is it? And how do we find out? Well, what's a star do? A star shines, right? It reflects the light. So if we do that same kind of word study with light and shine, we run into the, the gospel of Luke. And this, this is fascinating because this text right here, Luke 2, 8 and 2, 9, probably happened four to six months prior to the Magi arriving. Look at this. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field, and they were keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. So question, what was shining in the sky when the shepherds saw it? The glory of the Lord. 
The glory of the Lord manifesting himself in light, that is nothing new. We see this time and time again throughout all of Scripture. Uh, For example, when Moses met Yahweh, he appeared in a burning bush of light. During the Exodus, God revealed himself in a cloud of, of light during the day and a pillar of fire at night. When Moses talked to God one-on-one, his face, Moses' face lit up, didn't it? During Jesus' transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they were blinded by the light. And then when Jesus comes back a second time, the entire cosmos will go dark and Jesus will come in a blazing light for everyone to see his glory. So all that to say this, God's glory is revealed in light. It's demonstrated by light. So this star is better explained as a unique manifestation known as the Shekinah. The Shekinah. Uh, Shekinah is the glory of God. So in, in other words, the star behaves much more like a theophany than it does a planet. So a theophany, it's, it's a an appearance of God in a supernatural and visible form. A theophany is an appearance of God in a supernatural and visible form. So theo, meaning God, phani, meaning to appear. So as God appeared to the Israelites in a cloud, God appeared to the Magi in what resembles a star. And the importance of this star is the presence of God. This is God leading these men to Jesus. Notice that the Magi call this star his. They, they personalize this star to be the king's star. And evidently, what they saw, it illuminated itself with a supernatural appearance and presence. But also note here, Matthew's not really interested in the star, nor is he focused on the Magi who saw it. What Matt is intrigued with is that outsiders, they came to worship Jesus. And in verse 3, Herod hears about this. So when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So notice Herod's response here. It's the opposite of the Magi. Herod is deeply disturbed. He's incredibly fearful. This is the same kind of fear that the disciples had when they saw Jesus walking on the water. They are terrified. Herod is also terrified. The picture here is that Herod's life is now filled with just turbulence. So why is Herod so emotionally stressed out right now? Um, Well, Herod, he may be crazy, but he's not necessarily dumb. He knows exactly who these magi are. He knows where they're from. He knows about the Babylonians. He knows about the the Medo-Persian empires. These empires are massive. They are so powerful that they literally control the rest of the world. And just 40 years prior, you got the Persians and the Medes. They started a civil war. They started to attack parts of Palestine. That's a little too close for comfort. I mean, we would be a little nervous too if a civil war broke out in Phoenix. That's how Herod's feeling. So Herod knows he's in trouble here. And not only that, but most of his army is away on assignment. They're they're not even in Jerusalem. So he is so vulnerable right now. He is freaking out. So what's he going to do? Well, verse 4, so Herod assembled all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. So even though Herod, he's not a religious man, Herod's not even a Jew. 
but he calls all the professional religious people together. Uh, the picture here is that Herod repeatedly is asking religious people religious questions. Herod is, he's a shrewd man. He, he pulls the conservatives together, who are the scribes and the Pharisees. He also pulls the chief priests together. These are the liberal politicians of the day. Now, why does he do that? Why does he pull everybody together? Because he knows that when he gets his answer, um, he'll get his answer when everybody agrees on the same thing. I mean, when was the last time you saw the Republicans and the Democrats agree on anything in the Senate? That's what's going on here with Herod. So what's the answer to, to Herod's question? Verse 5, they respond to him. They say, well, it's in Bethlehem of Judea because this is what was written by the prophet. So in other words, good news, Herod, the Messiah is right down the street. Man, he's in our own backyard. Religious leaders, they give Herod the proof text now in the Old Testament. This comes from the prophet Micah. He says, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now get this. Bethlehem is only five miles away from Jerusalem. That's like saying Jesus is in Clarkdale. Verse 7, Herod, after that conversation, Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them the exact time the star appeared. So Herod now calls the wise men for a secret meeting. He doesn't want to scare anybody. He, he doesn't want to put Jerusalem in any more uh, a frenzy than they already are. So he calls this secret meeting, and he starts to plan. He starts to scheme. He starts to plot. And after his conversation with the Magi, verse 8, he sends the Magi to Bethlehem. And he says, all right, guys, here's the deal. You go and you search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come on back, report to me so that I too can go worship him. You guys smell something? I smell a rat. I smell a rat. In all seriousness, how wicked is this? This is so unbelievably wicked to tell people that you want to worship the messianic king, but in all reality, you want to murder him. Matthew 2, 9, after hearing the king, the magi, they go on their way. So, you know, if Herod truly wanted to worship Jesus with the magi, he could have gone with them, Correct? I mean, finding out the messianic king has been born in your backyard, that's, I would say that's a pretty good reason to clear your schedule, don't you think? So let's do a quick review here. We've got the magi who are seeking the king, and they want to worship him. Herod is opposing the king and wants to murder him. And then we have the others. We got the religious leaders. We have uh, the lay people, so to speak, of Jerusalem. They are ignoring the king, and they're just indifferent to him. So King Herod and all the religious leaders, the rest of, of Jerusalem, they are five miles from the very Son of God, and yet no one wants to go see him. Now, how's that conversation play out? The Magi say, hey, king, you're going to come with us? Mm, nah, I'd rather watch uh, 
Wheel of Fortune or something. Got a busy plan tonight. Regardless, the Magi, they get directions. It's like a two-hour journey from there. It's just off the main road. This is, Bethlehem is not hard to find. Once again, it's like giving directions to Clarkdale. 89A, and take a ride on Clarkdale Parkway. And then Jesus is going to be right there. So the Magi, they just can't believe that not one person from Jerusalem is going to make this trip with them. Unbelievable. So the Magi leave the city with their, their entourage here. Verse 9, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came, and then it stopped above the place where the child was. See, only the Shekinah, only God's glory can be demonstrated in that way. Um, To have, number one, appeared to the Magi to get them started on the journey. Number two, it reappears to them after they met with King Herod. Boy, that's a coincidence. And then it just happens to guide them. This is where it starts to lead them now to Bethlehem. And then it stops directly over the house. Dear friends, God is leading his people where he wants to go, where he wants them to go. And you thought your GPS was cool. (laughs) This is super cool. Verse 10 When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. So Matthew, he's at a loss for words in verse 10. He's, he's, the Magi, they are so elated that Matt, he's just stumbling over his words right now. Verse 10, that's just bad English grammar. Overwhelmed with joy. He's saying the same thing twice. But when you find bad grammar in scripture, you can bank on good theology. Magi are so excited, they just can't contain themselves here. So they follow the glory of God that resembles a star, and God leads them directly to the house of Mary and Joseph. Verse 11, so entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. So three things to take notice of here. Number one, the child is always mentioned first. Number two, notice that the Magi worship Jesus, not Mary, not Joseph, not the family. Thirdly, the wise men choose to worship the king. They, they, they simply don't show him respect and honor like a human king. They express a deep reverence and adoration for God. To worship God means that we submit our, our lives to this one divine king. The very concept of worship is expressed by our serving. Verse 11, and then they opened up their treasures, presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the Magi, they brought their earthly treasures to give to this divine king. These men, they brought their riches, these valuables as a gift. Each gift is highly symbolic of a spiritual truth. So gold, that's a sign of Jesus's royalty. Frankincense is for his deity and myrrh is for his humanity. So these men, they give Jesus these gifts as an expression of their worship. So let me start backwards here and talk about these gifts. Myrrh, myrrh was used for several things. It was used as a narcotic when they put it in wine. Uh, We saw that with the passion of the Christ when we went through Mark's gospel. 
But in this context, myrrh was used to anoint a dead body. It's a symbol of, of Christ's death. It's a symbol of his humanity. Uh, the second gift was frankincense. Frankincense, or just incense. Incense represents our worship to a divine king. So when, you, when, you, when the incense is lit, it symbolizes the offering up of our lives. As the smoke rises, it's an offering. Because our lives, not our own, our life was, was purchased by the blood of Jesus. And then finally, we see the wise men, how they brought their gold. How can you tell the difference between a Christian and a disciple? Two ways. Um, number one, there's, there's nothing more telling than a, a person's pocketbook and calendar. How we spend our money and we spend our, our time, it proves who we worship or what we worship. So the Magi, in a way, they are disciples. And then in verse 12, being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So the wise men, they avoided Herod. They, they traveled back to their own country a different way. Traveling home, that, that's not going to be the easiest thing to do, especially if they have a large entourage there. It, it makes this trip even more difficult. Uh, nothing about this trip was easy. Nothing. Well, you know, one major point of this narrative is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yet so few people cared. In fact, John's gospel tells us precisely that in John 1.10. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not recognize him. So in our story today, we see five different types of people. The first group, they're the Jewish people. Not only didn't they recognize Jesus, their lives were just too busy to even care. They are preoccupied with themselves and, and their, their world. The second group of people, they respond like King Herod. They recognize Jesus as a king, um, as the Messiah. King Herod said that. Um, as the one born king of the Jews, but the very thought of being accountable to a holy God, it throws them into a rage. And we'll see that again here with Herod in the next couple of weeks. The third group of people, they are the religious people. The, the priests and the scribes of Jesus' day, they are just so apathetic. They are so detached from reality. They know, the, they know God's word in their head, but it hasn't, made, it hasn't made it to their hearts. Uh, it hasn't changed them. They, they, these people are unteachable. You know, they don't read, they don't study God's word to know God. They use God's word to beat people down with their own agenda. That's what religious people do. As long as religious people act like God, they'll never experience God. The fourth group, that's the Magi. They're obedient. I find it amazing that the Magi, they didn't, attur they, they didn't attend the, uh, the Jerusalem Theological Seminary. They weren't members of the uh, First Baptist Church of Jerusalem either. The Magi, they simply knew something. They knew that they were supernaturally compelled to go on mission. They made the plans. They took the risk. They trusted God. 
that he would provide, and he did. And they completed the mission that God sent them on. In other words, they finished life well. And as the church, we all have the same mission as well. We come here today to do one thing, and that is to worship the one true living God. His name is Jesus. More specifically, our mission is to share the good news of Jesus with those here in our backyard in the Verde Valley. Jesus gave the church one mission, and it's called the Great Co-Mission, right? The Great Commission. We all have different roles. We all have different responsibilities within that mission, but that's, man, that's the beauty of the church. That's how a healthy church functions with all the different parts working together in a rhythm, And God is inviting all of us to walk this journey with him. Is there going to be fear and doubt along the way? Yep, it's all part of the journey. That's how we grow into maturity. Let me ask you this. How how weird would it be if if Amy and I invited you guys over for dinner and we served you baby food? (laughs) Would that be a little weird? I think that would be way weird. But isn't that how we act spiritually many, many times? God is growing us up to, to, he's trying to give us some prime rib. Many, many times as he leads and guides, we have these God intersections and these divine disruptions to our lives. And we say, nah, no thanks, God. I'd rather just kind of suck on my binky today. And you say, come on, Dustin. Life's tough. I, you know, I'm busy. Yeah, life's tough. So what? I mean, aren't we tired of making excuses for all this? Do you think, you think it was a walk in the park for the Magi to worship Jesus? Walking here from Dallas, Texas is a walk in the park compared to what those men went through. Do you guys believe the lie that life's going to give you a pass on pain? It's only pain. Most of the time, it's not going to kill you. It just feels that way. And then lastly, there's a fifth group here talking about people who want to be on mission but really don't know what the next step is. We don't really see this in the text, but we certainly have them in the church today. So if you're in that place and you want to do something, you don't know what the next step is, I want to encourage you to engage in that conversation. Please don't try to figure this stuff out on your own. The Magi, they didn't travel alone. Jesus himself, he didn't travel alone. Christ died for this church, for his church, the true church, right? Uh, For the sole purpose that we would not be alone walking this thing out either. So, dear friends, if you are isolated, if you are alone today, today is a good day to do something different. We got prayer after service. You can fellowship with us, ask some questions. Please, please join us. Join the Lord in what he's doing here in the Verde Valley. And let's finish this mission together, just like the Magi did. Father in heaven, what an amazing text. Thank you for the, the reality of how these men show us how to finish life well and how to be on mission. Lord, thank you so much for the dear saints. Thank you for the guests and the returning visitors today here at church. 
Lord, may we press into you this week. May we read your word by the, by the spirit of God. May we lift our head up. May we get it off ourselves. May we repent of our sin, of being so selfish all the time. And may we come before you, repentant children, to walk with you this, this coming week. Lord, we pray for the things that only you can do here in the valley. We pray for those who do not know you. And Lord, we're excited to see what you alone can do. Once again, thank you for this message of hope. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.